Shalom Aleichem, Mishnah Yomi continues, chapter 9 of Kituvot, Mishnah Chet. Now today is a little longer because we're actually explaining and refining some of the concepts we talked about yesterday. Hapogemet Kituvata Ketzad. A woman who uh, reduces or puts a blemish on her Ketuva, what do we mean? Haita Ketuvata Elif Zuz, if her original Ketuva amount was a thousand Zuz, that might sound large because in this case the husband has written her a larger kasuva originally. The Amr law, and when they come to divorce court, the husband tells her, you actually received, I paid you already. She says, She says, I didn't receive the full payment, I only received a hundred zuz. In, in this case, as we said yesterday, she has to make an oath to the husband that she was not paid in order to receive the kasuva. The reasoning is explained in the Gemara that someone who's receiving money is typically a little bit less careful to record exactly how much they get than the person who has to actually pay that bill. Is very careful, you know, it's sometimes good to look at your bills so you don't get overcharged. Now the Mishnah goes on to another case from yesterday, Eid Echod Midashi Perua, Kate Sod, when one witness is testifying that she was already paid, what do we mean? If originally she had a kasuva of a thousand zuz, and they, she came to collect in court, and he says, you were already received the ketuva, the entire amount. She says, I didn't get anything. But one witness comes and says, yes, I saw the husband pay up the ketuva amount. She can only collect her ketuva if she makes a shvua that she, in fact, did not receive anything contrary to the single witness. Recall, in general, that a single witness cannot make somebody pay, but there are situations where the testimony of a single witness can force someone to t make an oath or a vow in order to get paid. The Mishnah goes on, Minnesochim Mishubodim Ketzad, from, uh, in, in, properties that the husband sold when those properties were mortgaged to the ketuva. How does this work? The husband, during the marriage, sold property to other people. And she's coming to collect her kesuva amount from those purchasers. She cannot collect from these sold properties unless she makes a shvua that she has not already received her ketuva. Because after all, the husband might have paid her off with cash or from something else. The next case, from the properties of the orphans, the heirs of the of the, her husband. How does this work? Met, the husband passed away. He left his properties to his heirs, to the orphans. And she's coming to collect from their property. She can only collect if she makes an oath to them that she was not already received. Here the Gemara explains the idea is the orphans, the, the heirs, the children of her husband, might not be aware if he had actually paid her the ketuva or set aside some assets for her or not. So she needs to make a, an oath that that was not the case. Next, Shalobafon of Ketzad, not in front of him. How does this case work? They got divorced and then he went on vacation to Las Vegas or something. He's not available. So she's coming to court uh, because she needs the money to eat. So she needs to collect her ketuva from his assets. She can only collect with an oath that she was not already paid by the husband. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon has a disagreement with a concept we learned a couple days ago that a husband can 
make a statement, a declaration in writing, perhaps, that his wife does not have to make any oaths in order to get her ketuva or make any oaths about her dealings with the estate. So, anytime she's claiming a payment of her ketuva, Hayorshin must be in ota. The heirs of her husband can have her make an oath that she did not receive any part of that ketuva payment yet. But if she's not claiming her ketuva, but even if she is still managing the finances of the estate, she's living in the husband's house, you know, the deceased husband, and using the bank account and taking care of the household, in that case, the heirs of the husband have no right to have her make an oath. So he disagrees with that concept that Rabbi Eliezer most uh, vividly illustrated on Sunday's Limud, that uh, theoretically, according to his opinion, even for small uh, expenses and usages that the husband could force a shua. Mm-hmm. Let's go on to Mishnah Tet, Mishnah 9, about the actual logistics of a woman collecting her ketuva, Hotsia Get. She comes to court and she pulls out a get. She doesn't have a ketuva to go along with the get. Gove ketuvata. She can still collect her ketuva from the assets of the ex-husband or the deceased husband. Now, what's going on is this is a place, like Mark explains, where they don't always write a ketuva. Though now the custom everywhere is every Jewish marriage, we write a ketuva. It's considered extremely vital. Uh, but as we learned in chapter four, that even without a written document, it was considered just the normal practice. We call it tanai beitin, a stipulation of the court but it was accepted everywhere and it was enforceable as law that even without a written ketuva, the woman was still entitled to the basic amounts of the ketuva. So that's what's going on here. Now, the next case, Mishra brings ketuva. She shows up to court with her ketuva, ve'ein ima get, but without the get, the writ of divorce. He'll merit, and she says, avod giti. I had a get, I was given a get, so I'm divorced, but then I lost the paperwork. Behu'a mer, and the husband says, avod shoveri. He says, yes, I gave a get, but I also paid a ketuva, and what we lost was the shover, the receipt that you wrote me when I paid you up the amount of the ketuva. So they both agree that the divorce took place, but the husband is claiming that he was paid up, and she is claiming she was not. The chen in the Mishnah brings an analogous case, bal hov, star hov. A lender, he shows up to court with his loan documents to collect the money from the borrower. He doesn't have the prosbul document. Now, this refers to a case where the loan took place over the Shemitah year. And on the Shemitah year, the sabbatical year, as we mentioned, loans are canceled. However, there's a workaround that Hillel established called a prosbul, and it was actually for the benefit of the Aniim, for the poor people. They could actually obtain loans because the lenders would have this workaround of having this written document or giving over the loans to the authority of the court to allow them to collect it even after the Shemitah year had theoretically canceled all the loans. So here the lender is saying he had, he had a prose bowl, he wrote a prose bowl, but then he lost it. Similar to the wife's claim here, hare elu lo yipro. So both of these claimants, the woman showing up with no get and the lender showing up with no prose bowl, they cannot collect their money. The idea being here, the first clause in the Mishnah said if she shows up with a get, she could actually collect her money. So maybe she showed up with the get already and used it and already got paid. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel Meir, but Shimon, he adds something amazing here. Minasakona ve'elech, from the time of danger and on, isha gove shalo beget. A woman might collect her ksuva amount even without the written get. Ubal chov gove shalo 
and the creditor, the lender, could collect even without his prosbol. Now, the sakana, the danger that they're talking about, is there were times when the Roman government had laws that basically banned a get. And their idea, my understanding is the Romans' idea was they wanted Jews and all of their citizens to have to go through Roman officials to do marriages and divorces. So there were extreme penalties for somebody, even even physical penalties, imprisonment or death, God forbid, for someone caught with a get, because that meant they were flouting the Roman jurisdiction and the same for a prosbol. So they actually had a practice, the Gemara says, they would write a get, give a get, and then immediately burn the get before the Roman officials caught them. Now the Mishnah brings a really interesting case, Shnei Gitin Ushtei Ketuvot. Now she shows up not with just one, but with two get Gitin, and two ketuvot, from the same man, mind you. Govesh ketuvot. She can collect both of these ketuvot. What's going on here is she married the same man twice, and each time he wrote her a new ketuva, and she was divorced from the same man twice, and obviously received two gitten. She shows with all the paperwork. She collects both separate ketuvot. What about shtei ketuvot get echod? If she shows up with two ketuvot, one get O ketuva, one ketuva, shnegitin, and two gitin, o ketuva veget, or there's a ketuva neget, umita, and also she shows up with witnesses that her husband has then passed away, eina gova ele ketuva achat. She receives one ketuva amount. And the Mishnah explains why this is, that in these situations she she receives once. Shemagarish at each tova a man who's divorced his wife, and then he hasn't yet paid her original ksuva, and they decide to work it out and get remarried. He is remarrying her on the condition that his original ksuva is still in effect. He's not giving her a second ksuva. So in these cases, she's entitled to the original ksuva, and there was no second ksuva. Finally, the Mishnah adds, Katan Shehisio Ovid. A young boy was married by his father. Now, this is an extremely rare case, and we had an analogy to this uh, in Masechet Yavama. We discussed in detail about marrying a young girl for her own protection. If it was very hard to get a shidduch, you're trying to protect her from uh, the rapacious nature of the non-Jews in the vicinity. You know, by having her be married, it provides some protection. So here, maybe they're trying to keep their son out of trouble, too, when they make a shidduch. They're both very young. They're not barn bat mitzvah. But let's go ahead and make a shidduch while they're still young, and we still have, you know, uh, some wealth before the crusaders get it, God forbid. So, ketuvata kayemet. So, their ksuva still lasts. So, what's going on is the father of this minor boy, this 12-year-old, wrote up the ksuva for this, you know, wedding. And it's not really a biblical wedding. They're just, okay, we're going to marry them off, quote-unquote, but they're not really biblically married until they're old enough. Uh, so, their ksuva lasts, because on condition of the original ksuva, they are remaining married after they reach adulthood. Finally, the Mishnah brings a similar case. Um, a, a, a male non-Jew converted along with his non-Jewish wife. They both became Jewish together. If he had written her a ksuva already before they became officially Jewish, that ksuva is still effective after they're Jewish. Because it was on condition that the original ksuva applies that he quote-unquote remarried her when they were both Jewish. Yashar koach and